saith, he resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. And uh, I'm thankful that God is not only gracious to save us from our sins, the penalty of our sin, but I'm thankful that he works daily in our lives to help us have victory over sin. And when we don't have victory over sin, I'm thankful that he is gracious enough to allow us to restore fellowship to him by confessing that sin to him. And uh, a lot of people look at God's grace and they say, well, um, that means I can go out here and live however I want to because God's grace will always be sufficient. God's grace will always be sufficient. But Paul said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? When we trusted Christ as our Savior, the Bible says, and you hath he quickened, made alive, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And you died that day to sin, and you now are alive unto God. And the old nature is still there, but it does not have dominion over us anymore. It still reigns. There is now a way of escape for you and I. And there is now something inside of us that desires not to sin that didn't used to be there before. Used to, sin had rampant reign in our life. There was nothing to combat it. There's nothing to cause us to not do it. And now we've got something in there that's called the Holy Spirit. And I'm thankful for God's grace day in and day out, day by day. His mercies are new. And uh, what a wonderful God that we serve. And then I'm thankful that He continues to teach us and to bring to light things that we need to deal with and get right in our lives. Uh, He is a long-suffering God. And we talked a little bit on that this morning in the book of Psalms, how that God has delayed uh, His judgment uh, due to His long-suffering, His willingness that all should come to repentance, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And uh, we're thankful for that. Let's take our Bibles this morning, if you will. Turn to Matthew chapter number 26. And what a great God we serve. I, as you stop and think about uh, all that God is and all that God does for us, it really becomes overwhelming. And uh, it gets to a place where it just kind of overflows and bubbles out of us and we just can't hardly take much more of it. And we don't even know the half of it. We haven't even begun to understand all of who God is. But what He has chosen to show to us sure brings joy to our hearts, doesn't it? And uh, gives us victory in our lives. Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 69. Matthew chapter 26, and verse number 69. This is the story of uh, the trial of the Lord Jesus Christ just before His crucifixion. And as... as uh, Jesus has already told his disciples uh, what was going to be happening. Not all of them understood fully what was going to be happening, but he had told them that. And he had mentioned to Peter that uh, before the cock crowed that he would deny him three times. And uh, Jesus is standing uh, in judgment, and Peter uh, was a short way off. And in verse number 69... We pick up the narrative as it says, Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. 
And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, this fellow also with uh, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them. I want you to note this phrase, For thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message and may you speak to hearts. And may you instruct us in the things that your word teaches us by way of righteousness and right living. Lord, I believe that most folks here today have made the decision to trust you as their Savior. And if there's someone here today that has not done that, then Lord, I I pray that your Holy Spirit will bring strong conviction to their heart and help them to see that need. And may they have the desire to put their faith in you today for forgiveness of their sin, for the redemption from their sin, so that they no longer have to pay the penalty for it. That you would give them a home in heaven for all of eternity. So, Father, we pray that you would work in those hearts that may be here this morning. For Christians that are here today, Lord, I pray that you would help us to come with a a hunger and a thirst to know how it is that you want us to live. And may we make those commitments to you that are necessary for us to be what we should be. May we be yielded to the truth of your word. And so guide and direct our steps. May we rightly divide and understand your word today. May your Holy Spirit uh, work in our hearts and to enlighten us and to bring conviction where needed to bring correction to us where needed. May we commit ourselves to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. There is an interesting concept that is dealt with here as Peter is standing around and he's already denied the Lord twice and a group of folks come around him and they said, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. And the Bible says in verse number 71, When he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him said unto them that were with that, that were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth, and again he denied him with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely And it's interesting that they would they would say of us you know, surely uh, this is a true statement. That you, you can't you can't deny this, Peter. Surely thou also art one of them. And the reason that they knew this so confidently was because, uh, not because of, uh, of the way that Peter looked or the way uh, that he was acting, but it was because of his speech. It was because of what he said. And uh, it's interesting to note that Peter, trying to hide the fact that he was one of the disciples of the Lord Jesus, begins to curse. Notice verse number 74. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man, and immediately the cock crew. And we find here that, at least in Peter's mind, and, and probably in the mind of those that had made the, uh, the accusation to Peter that he was with them and that he was one of the disciples, uh, in their minds, the, the idea was this, that 
If he talks like one of the disciples, then he must have been around the Lord Jesus Christ. He must, he must have walked with him. He must have been in his presence. He must have learned from him as he taught things. And that, 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 that teaching, that influence of the Lord Jesus, that close personal contact with him, had no other alternative than to show itself in his life. And it showed himself in this case by his speech. The things that we say. Peter decided in his mind in that moment, in that instant of being accused of it, that the best way to put that accusation to rest was to speak in such a way that they would not think that he was with Christ. Now, I want you to notice this because a lot of times we focus on the fact that Peter was speaking a certain way and they thought he was one of the disciples. But I want you to notice he changed the way he spoke. And the reason that he changed the way he spoke was because he did not want to be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of times, we were speaking a little bit this morning in Psalm 7 about the importance of our speech. David was under great duress. He was under great stress. And he was praying for God to deliver him and to save him from his enemies, from his, from his persecutors. And he made the statement that the persecutors uh, were devouring his soul. They were, they, were, they were ripping him to shreds. And it wasn't a persecution of physical harm or somebody that was coming after him trying to take his life. It was a persecution based on the slander that was being spoken of about him. We made this statement that it is very important that we are careful how we speak. Our speech makes such a big difference in so many ways. It can actually determine, in some people's opinion, whether you are walking with the Lord or whether you have no part with Him. In fact, our speech oftentimes is one of the few things that people can look at and say there's a Christian, or there's someone who trusts the Lord, or there's someone who names the name of Christ, or there's someone who does not go to church much, they don't love the Lord, they're not walking with the Lord. And I say all that because in the last, last year or so, about the last nine months, I have been trying to help my son start a small business. And uh, he's doing pretty well at it, but in doing that, I have to talk to some of the customers that he has. And it's amazing to me, uh, almost every customer that I talk to, uh, in the course of talking with them, will talk about the job and what they're doing and everything. And then usually they're trying to talk to me more and I'm trying to push it off to my son. And I'll usually say, you know, my son's the owner of the business. He's the one doing this. I said, I'm a pastor. And that's what I do. That's, my, that's, my, that's what I do. That's who I am. And it's amazing to me how many people in the early part of that inter- interchange will cuss, will speak in, in language that's, that's innuendos and things that are not pure and not right. And then when I say I'm a pastor, they'll shake my hand. Oh, that's so good to hear. I go to such and such church. And folks, I, I, don't, I don't mean this to be comical. I mean this to be a sad state of Christianity today. Because our speech bereath us. And that holds true whether we're speaking good or whether we're speaking evil. Because our speech will always be raised. You can tell by what somebody says oftentimes how close they are to the Lord Jesus or how far away they are from Him. Look with me, if you will, in the book of 
Titus chapter number 2 for a moment. Titus chapter number 2. Paul is teaching a young man uh, uh, some things about pastoring, some things about being a godly example to the flock. And even though this is taught to a pastor, can I say if he's teaching a preacher how to be a godly example, can we not learn from that same teaching? That if I want to be a godly example, if I want to be a witness, if I want to be an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, this side of heaven, then maybe I can learn from what Paul was teaching Titus about this idea of being a good influence and and being able to have a good testimony. And so we find in verse number 7 of Titus chapter number 2, let's back up to verse number 6, he says, uh, in chapter 2, verse number 6, he says, Young men, likewise, exhort... To be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. So he's saying, Titus, I want you to teach these young men. I want you to exhort them to um, uh, be sober-minded. And when you do, Titus, you yourself need to show a pattern of good works in doctrine. And we speak highly of this. Showing uncorruptness of doctrine. Having right doctrine. Then he says, gravity, sincerity, verse number 8, sound speech that cannot be what? The fact that Paul had to specify that the sound speech needed to be such that could not be condemned implies that there is a speech that a Christian can have that can be condemned. If Paul has to teach a young preacher this, could we not all learn from it? That there's some speech that does not become a saint of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is some speech that when people hear it, they are not drawn to Christ, but they are distanced from Him. Look once again with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter number 4. And then we're going to be moving over to the book of James. Colossians chapter number 4. <clears throat> Paul writing to the, uh, the church at Colossae in verse number 6. He made this statement. He said, let your speech be, what's the next word here? Always with grace. How often should it be with grace? All the time. What does it mean to have gracious speech? Well, we need to understand what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is that which is not deserved. To be able to have speech that is gracious speech means that even when somebody does something to you or speaks ill to you, you don't respond in like manner. He says, let your speech be always seasoned with, or be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Now, the idea of salt in Scripture uh, was uh, given, uh, of course, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter number 5, when he said, ye are the salt of the earth. And he wasn't speaking of the white stuff you pour on your, on your table. He was talking about the purifying, the seasoning effect that salt has uh, to this world. And the idea that as Christians, we are that salt. As the Lord is able to reflect His light through us, as the Lord is able to use our vessel 
to proclaim His message, we are to be that salt. And it tells us here, and Paul was telling the church at Colossae, that the speech that we have ought to be salty speech. It ought to be that which purifies this world. It ought to be that which seasons this world. It ought to be that which brings, uh, that brings uh, purity to this, this world. And as God's people, we need to learn to have godly speech in our mouths. I think it would go without saying that obvious curse words should never be spoken by a Christian. I'm going to say something that some people may be not aware of, and you may do it and not even realize you do it. But there are words that we use in place of cuss words, and it is no different because we know what those words stand for. When I was growing up, my family, if I said the word G-O-S-H, I got my mouth washed out with soap. You know why? Because it stood for another word that took the Lord's name in vain. I've seen people use the word uh, stink or stinking as a euphemism. Again, it represents another word. Can I tell you this? It should never be named among a Christian. You say, Pastor, you're on a soapbox issue. No, I'm not. I'm on the point where our speech berayeth us. Our speech will either point people to Christ, our speech will either be seasoned with salt and have a purifying effect, or it will be a hindrance to folks. How is our speech? Look with me in the book of James, chapter 3, for a moment. The book of James, chapter number 3. James speaks extensively about this. And we've got to be so careful. In fact, it's amazing to me. I don't want to say it's amazing to me. It's heartbreaking to me. It saddens me that Christians who have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them have to be taught these things. I know we do, and I know we're supposed to exhort people, and we're to take the Word of God, and we're to rightly divide it, we're to rightly teach it, we're to share it with one another. But it is sad that in the day that we live, Christians have to be taught on this issue. I, a number of years ago, had a dear friend of mine, who's now a dear friend of mine, uh, he had his daughter in our Christian school, and he came to uh, visit our church one time. His wife and daughter had been coming, and finally she asked him to come visit. He was not a churchgoer. And the dear friend of mine now, he's uh, trusted the Lord as his Savior now. His name's Brian Maloney. But at the time was uh, a, a contractor and uh, did roofing, had a crew with him. Uh, by his own testimony, lived uh, an ungodly life. Uh, would go out to the bars and uh, parties, especially when he was out of town and stuff. And um, uh, cussed and cursed around his men, just as, as wicked as anyone would be. Went to his house on a Thursday night and sat in his living room and spent some time showing him from the Scriptures how he could be saved. That night, after about an hour of talking with him, an hour and a half or so, he bowed his head and he trusted Christ as his Savior. Put his faith in him. In fact, he was amazed when I shared with him why Christ came to this earth. He knew the story of Jesus. He knew that he died on the cross and that he had risen from the dead. But when I told him, I said, Brian, do you understand why he did that? He said, no, I never understood. He said, I've always heard the story. 
I said he did that to pay your price for your sin. Forty-some-year-old man, 41, 42 years old at the time, his eyes got big. I never forget seeing the look on his face. And he said, so that's why he came. He said, for all these years, I never knew why he came. He trusted Christ as a Savior. He came to church. He got baptized and started coming to church and started learning from Scripture and taking notes and growing spiritually. About two or three months after he had gotten saved, his service was over, and I was standing in the back of the church and shaking hands. He came back and he shook my hand and he said, uh, Pastor, he said, you'll never guess what happened this week. He said, I was up on a roof with my men and we were roofing and I hit the wrong nail. Uh, with my hammer. He said, boy, busted he showed it to me. It was all black and swollen. And he said, uh, I, I, I was hopping around on the roof looking at it and trying to get... Uh, he said, all of a sudden I noticed all my guys on the roof had stopped working and were looking at me. He said, I looked at him and said, what are you all looking at? And they said, you're not cussing. He said, in the past I'd have thrown my hammer off the roof. I'd have been cursing up a storm. He said... Pastor, is that a good thing? I said, yes, Brother Brian, that's a good thing. And I share that story with you to tell you this. I had never one time preached in that time that he had been saved on the fact that his speech needed to be something that glorified the Lord. It was something that the Holy Spirit did inside of him. And I say that to say this, that it's a shame that in the day that we live, we are not more yielded to the Holy Spirit in the area of our speech. That we don't have more of His input and more of His influence in our speech. That we go about living our lives comfortable with the speech that we have and not worrying about the fact that my speech bereath me. James chapter 3, verse number 2, James speaks of this. He says, For in many things we offend all, if any man offend not in word... The same as a perfect man. Now, he's not speaking of one that doesn't have sin. He's talking about one that is mature. He's grown in the faith. If a man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man. And notice this. Uh, it's an interesting thing. It says, and able also to bridle the whole body. I get from this part of James that if we can get to the place where we can submit our will to the Holy Spirit enough, and be sensitive enough to Him to allow Him to work on our speech, that it helps us have victory in other areas that we may have problems. Maybe our eyes. Maybe our ears. Maybe our minds. He says, the same as a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the, mouth, in the horse's mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Can I tell you this, that an ungodly tongue, a tongue that would give the indication that our hearts are not as close to the Lord as they need to be, that our will is not yielded to the Holy Spirit as much as it needs to be, is having a tongue that would be offensive 
In verse number 2, he says, For many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. That means if we offend in word, that we're not a perfect man. We're immature spiritually. We've not grown. He says in verse number 5, The tongue is a little member, and notice this, and boasteth great things. An ungodly tongue is a boastful tongue. Then I want you to notice, he says in verse number 5, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, and I want you to notice this, a what? World of iniquity. A tongue that is not yielded to the Holy Spirit. A tongue that is not uh, always with grace and seasoned with salt is a tongue that is full of iniquity. It's a world of iniquity, the Bible says. And it defileth the whole body. Now notice this, and is set on fire, and setteth on fire the course of nature. In other words, it, it urges people to follow the flesh nature, the old nature, the sinful nature, and is set on fire of hell. If our speech is not always with grace and seasoned with salt, if our speech does not beray that we've been with the Lord Jesus, that we're yielded to the Holy Spirit, can I tell you this, then our speech is being influenced by the powers of hell. Satan himself is influencing our speech. I was listening to a man years ago as he came to this verse that said that the tongue was set on fire of hell. He said, "In God, because it is set on fire of hell, God in His infinite wisdom when He created man, bathed it in water and put it behind two iron prisons, that it must pass through all of that before those words can ever even escape our tongue. And I understand he was making a point, but oh, how we need to be careful of what we say. He says in verse number 7, For every beast, every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. And I tell you that an ungodly tongue will be an unruly evil. Not able to be corralled. Not able to be controlled. It's evil just happens. I've heard this statement before. I've said this statement before. I spoke before I thought. My tongue engaged before my brain was in gear. Folks, that's not an excuse. That just says that our tongue is an unruly evil. It's not controlled by the Holy Spirit. That just tells us that the flesh nature has control and that the, 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 the influence of Satan has a control on our tongue. That's all that says. Well, I spoke before I thought, or I didn't mean to say that, are not reasons for a Christian to go on not having their speech seasoned with grace and salt. The Bible says, But the tongue can no man tame his unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings, and cursings, and I want you to notice this. This isn't Brother Greg on a soapbox issue saying this. This is the the the, the writer of Scripture, that James, who is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, writing every single word that God is, is giving him to write, that says this. My brethren, 
these things ought not so to be. You say, well, Pastor, I don't like this message. I don't know if I'm ever coming back. It's not my message. It's what God has written in His Word for every single one of us. And folks, unless you think I'm standing up here and just trying to throw this out and say, you guys need to behave, this message is as much for your pastor as it is for any one of us. Because that, taint, that, that, that tongue is hard to tame. It is set on fire of hell. It is a world of iniquity. It is something that must constantly be guarded. It is something that must constantly be yielded to the influence of the Holy Spirit to ask the Lord to help us with our speech. Lord, may my speech be glorifying to You. I don't want my speech to cause some unsaved person to get bitter at You or to think that Christianity is hypocritical and have nothing to do with God. I don't want my speech to do that. Lord, I don't want my speech to cause a brother or sister in Christ to be hurt and to have their soul injured or to be, uh, to be destroyed because of something I've said. Lord, help me. By the way, we talk about it being the tongue, but we can express it over a keyboard on a computer as well. And just because you say, well, Pastor, I don't ever say those things, if you post them, they're just as bad. They do just as much damage. We try to praise God on Sunday and sing the hymns, and then through Monday through Saturday, our speech berayeth us. All of a sudden, we get out of church. We're around our work co-workers, or we're around our neighbors, we're around our friends. Our speech changes, doesn't it? And out of one side of our mouth, we praise the Lord. Out of the other side of our mouth, we're cursing Him. By the way, they come up with these acronyms now. Have you noticed that for texting? O-M, and then they have another letter there. Folks, that's the same as taking the Lord's name in vain. You're cursing God when you do that. You're cursing the Savior that died on Calvary for you when you do that. Brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth the fountain send forth, verse 11, does the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? In the early days of developing the West in the United States, as they were getting the Oregon Trail and some of the other paths to get out to California and the West Coast, water was of great importance. They had a mark. They knew on the maps where there was good water and where there was poisonous water. And if you didn't know the difference between the two, it could either bring life to you or death. And can I say this, that the good water that comes out of our mouth will bring life, but the bitter water will always bring death. And it cannot come from the same place. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs, so can no fountain yield both salt water and fresh? Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? So he tells us of what ungodly speech looks like. Now he's talking about the wise man. The one who's endued with knowledge. He says, let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. 
But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is what? Earthly, sensual, and what? Devilish. That's where this comes from. It's not from above. You cannot say that I'm a Christian and then go around speaking like this and say this is what God allows me to say and this is the Holy Spirit dealing with and controlling my speech and speak of evil things and speak of ungodly things because it doesn't come from above. It's amazing how many things that we do in the flesh that we say are given to us to do by God. Don't blame God for our fleshly living, our carnal living. We're either pure in our speech or we're bitter in our speech. We either have fresh water or we have salt water. In verse number 16, he says, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But wisdom that is from above, and here's what our speech ought to be like, is first, what? Pure. Our speech ought to be pure. I was, I was at a high school graduation. Uh, this was probably 25 years ago. I was at a high school graduation, and they had a commencement speaker and a guest preacher. And the guest preacher was up there, gave a great, great commencement address. I remember thinking as I left, boy, these young people really got a great challenge from God's Word tonight. And just left them fired up. It was a good Christian school. And, and boy, I thought, boy, what a great commencement. We were in the back of the church after it, and I was shaking hands with folks. And a pastor, the pastor that had spoken, that was a visiting pastor, came up to me. And he pulled me to the side, and he said, he, he started to ask me a question. And I thought, that's a weird question to ask. And I was like, I don't know. And then he gave me the answer to it, and it was supposed to be a joke. The question he had asked had an answer that was supposed to be funny. And I'm going to stand here today and say on, in, in shame to his testimony that it was probably one of the most vulgar, immoral jokes I have ever heard in my life. And it came from the lips of a pastor. Unless we sit here today and say, well, this message is for folks that really have a struggle with their language. No, this is for every Christian. This is for every single one of us here today. The wisdom that ought to control our lips, that ought to control this tongue, is first pure. The things that we say ought to be pure things. They ought to be things that are honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ. They ought to be things that if the Lord Jesus Christ were physically standing in front of us in person, face to face, and we were conversing with Him, He would not blush at, or He would not be angry at, or He would not be embarrassed by. They should be things that ought to be wholesome and pure and right. This is what our speech ought to be. It ought to be what we strive for. It ought to be what we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit for. It is not enough for us to in our own strength attempt these things because we do still have a tainted opinion of what is right and wrong. Our sinful nature still taints our judgment and causes us not to have the best judgment in things that are good or right and things that are evil and wrong. But the Holy Spirit knows. And He lives inside of me and He lives inside of you. And as we yield ourselves to Him, He will help us in this area. He will 
Give us control of our tongue. This wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Well, that's a big one, isn't it? Peaceable. Gentle. How often is our speech not gentle? I preached a message a number of years ago on the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. As I got to that characteristic of, of that fruit on a Wednesday night, the title of the message was Fragile Handle with Care. And the reason is we don't treat one another and we don't treat the world with care. We don't treat with gentleness. People are fragile. People's spirits are fragile. It doesn't take much other than a word. There's not a sword that can pierce the flesh that can hurt or cause more harm than a word that is spoken that is not from above. This wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. How's your speech today? We have been so influenced by what we have seen and what we have heard in the world that we live in today that oftentimes it pours out of our mouth and we don't even take the time to realize it. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And the more vileness we allow to come in the eye gate, the ear gate, and the mind, the more vile the tongue will be. But if I put my heart, my mind, my eyes, my ears on the things of the Lord, I read my Bible, I listen to preaching, I listen to godly music, I think and meditate on the things of the Lord. If I can fill my heart with those things, then my speech may beray me as having been with Christ. How's your speech today? I know this is more of probably a Sunday school type lesson. But folks, we're living in a day where literally just a word or two that is misspoken by a Christian or a word or two that is intentionally spoken but maliciously or in the flesh can cause so much harm to the cause of Christ. How's your speech? Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we pray that You would bless the teaching of Your Word. Lord, I've done my best today to try to bring about the truth with a graciousness and yet with the emphasis that I believe Your Word puts upon it. Lord, I'm not mad or angry at anyone, but I certainly am angry at the deceitfulness that Satan has blinded the eyes of so many that our speech doesn't really, is not really that important. Lord, it is. You've shown us that it is. You've expressed to us. You've spent an entire chapter in the book of James expressing to us how wicked and evil our tongues are. How they're so in need of the wisdom from above to control them. So, Father, may we yield them to You. May we be consciously aware of the things that we say. 
Lord, I know that there are a lot of people who have used language over the years that is not Christ-honoring, and it's just habit, and they use them without even thinking about them sometimes. Lord, may you prick our hearts. May you cause the 